Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. This is a real treat for me a guy that I've known a long time and admired a long time. He is the sports director of News Channel 3 WSAZ Television in Huntington, West Virginia. He is the former play-by-play voice of the Marshall Thundering Herd on the television side. You may have even seen him portrayed in the movie We Are Marshall as a young man uh, around the events of November 14, 1970. But it's an honor to have with me today my friend Keith Morehouse joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Keith, how are you doing today, brother? I am well, Brian. Thank you for having me. Keith, the last 16 or 17 months or so have been unlike anything we've seen. Let's start there. Um, I remember watching a, a, a newscast that, that either you or your partner, Jimmy Tracy, did that um, you, you guys were talking about things that, that you could and couldn't cover because normally the summertime is a slow time. For, for sports and things like that, because there's not a lot going on. COVID made everything a slow time for sports. Take me through what you guys were, were doing as, an, as a sports team to try to cover things that weren't there to be covered. How did you put a sports cast together every night? Well, that was, uh, you talk about uncharted territory, Brian. We, um, you know, we started talking about this, uh, you know, once everything started to break in, in uh, March of, of uh, whatever that was, the pre, it was 2020, yeah, in March of 2020, uh, once uh, the Conference USA Basketball Tournament shut down, and of course, the NBA was first, and, and every little domino started to fall, Big 12 basketball, and all of a sudden, we started realizing this is big, this is serious, this is unprecedented, uh, what are we going to do now? So, I mean, Jimmy and I just started kind of putting our heads together and said, look, we got to completely change the way we think about this. Uh, not realizing how long it was going to go, uh, how many seasons it was going to impact, how many sports it was going to affect. Uh, just realizing, okay, what are we going to do now to try to fill our slot? And also with understanding of, of the bigger picture of, of COVID. And really, we, we started uh, just kind of brainstorming about story ideas that we could do. And a lot of that meant, you know, contacting individual athletes, uh, meeting with them on their driveways and watching them work out and, uh, you know, changing the way we do physically do interviews where you're not putting a, a microphone uh, on somebody physically, putting a live mic on. So we had what we call our shotgun mics, which are longer and you got, you can stay away from, from your uh, interview subjects and uh, all, 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 everything that we did was was predicated on what was going on with COVID and how we could still do our jobs, still try to tell some stories. And a lot of it, unfortunately, was uh, here's what's not going to happen now. Here's what's not going to go on now. Here's how it's going to affect uh, high school basketball. The tournament won't happen. Um, I remember the, the first event, Brian, that I saw, I didn't see live, but on TV live, was the, uh, the basketball tournament that they played in Columbus. And they basically started the... Uh, you know, they kind of started the bubble that the NBA would kind of copy. So in that interim from March until what, what was that July? Uh, we did a lot of stories just on individuals that we could talk to that did not involve being at an athletic event. And that means, uh, I, for instance, I knew uh, Marshall's uh, voice of the herd on, on the radio side, Steve Cotton, a huge wood carving enthusiast. I knew he was really good at it. And I, I told him I'd always wanted to do a feature. And I said, well, this is a perfect time. So I went over to his, his house and, and did a little feature with him on that. But uh, you really had to think differently every day about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And um, it's something that I hope we don't ever have to go through again, first as a country, as a world. And then secondly, as, as someone in our business that relies on covering athletes and their exploits and, and uh, events. So it was, uh, it was unusual for sure. And uh, again, unprecedented. You mentioned the creativity that you and Jimmy had to get into. And I would have to think that you guys are sitting down literally on a day-to-day -day basis going, okay, what you mentioned stuff you'd always wanted to do, but obviously in, in a three to five minute sports segment that you have at, at six and 11, 
you you really have to concentrate on what do we want to tell that's that's important to our viewers. Why are our viewers coming here to get this information? Now the whole thing is wide open. Did it challenge you and Jimmy? Did it challenge your creativity as to the stories you wanted to tell? And you go, okay, we could tell this or we could tell that. Did you find yourself having to pick and choose a little bit about what you wanted to tell? In some ways, and always against the backdrop, Brian, that that our our little segment of the day, night uh, six to ten, eleven, uh, in in the whole scheme of things, we understand it's it's not as important as the news going on every day. You know that in this business, you understand that it's it doesn't deter what you do. It just makes you realize uh, what where you are in the whole scheme of things in the news business. So with a global pandemic going on and people dying. And, you know, the, all, the, all the horrors that we've seen for the past year, uh, you have to realize that little three minutes of sports is, is not so important. But it is in the, in, the, in, the, in the aspect of maybe we can give them a brief respite from all the bad stuff that we're talking about for 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and so if that means going to put together a feature story on, on, you know, a kid who's working out in his driveway or wanting still to, to, to realize his dream of playing college football or her dream of, of you know, being, being a college athlete then that's okay because it gives yeah. people just a minute to relax and say, and there is still some real stuff going on in the world. And, and you can put the COVID stuff at least in the background for, you know, three or four or five minutes of the day. Yeah. Keith, I've said this and, and I've got a 20 year old, you, you have a, a, a son in his late twenties, early thirties. So you understand this for our generation, I, I would call September 11th, 2001, the defining moment of our generation. You and you and I are pretty close in the same age. Mm -hmm. And, and for, for our son's generation, I think it's going to be COVID. How, when you think back to how you guys did sports after nine 11 in that week or two window, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you talk about just a minute ago, the relevance of sports in, in relationship to the real world. How do you think as a journalist, as a storyteller, how do you think the world will tell the story of COVID 20 years from now, like we've told the story of 9-11 as we go into the 20th anniversary next month of September 11, 2001? How, how will people tell the story of COVID 20 years from now? Uh, that's a great question. And, and um, uh, yeah, think about the, what impact it has on, on our children. I, we also have a daughter that's uh, just graduated. She's a, now she's a, a, a nurse in the uh, ER at Cabell Huntington. And uh, so she's seen, she's really kind of close yeah, front she's on the front lines. This yeah. Going on. yeah. So you do, you, you understand that, that how, how many people paid uh, such a sacrifice to, to, to help this, this thing, to try to put it in the rearview mirror, to try to eradicate it. The ones that were on the front lines, you know, the, everybody, I'm, there's not a single person I know that has lost somebody uh, that they knew or went to yeah. school with uh, from, from this awful scourge. So uh, I think the difference maybe that I look at, Brian, with 9-11, it was a one-time incident that, that galvanized the country. Remember that? I mean, everybody yeah. was, okay, let's go, you know, USA. And 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 in, in, in a sad state, and I certainly won't get political here right, today, right. but but we've we've become a, a, a divided country because of this yeah. and, and the vaccines and all that. So uh, I, I think the difference with 9-11 is we, we, we said, okay, uh, we're going to face this head on. And, and the sports paused for a little bit. But remember, I remember vividly thinking, okay, you know, the next Friday night, in fact, they had high school football. And I remember yeah. being at Ironson. And I remember how how patriotic and how, uh, how surreal the crowd was that night. It was almost like, you know, you wanted to cheer, but you still knew the seriousness of what had just happened. But in the back of everybody's minds, they say sports can be a great, a, a great salve, a, a great uh, unifier. Uh, uh, yeah. and, and so they said, let's play the games. And a lot of that, you know, happened after John F. Kennedy was assassinated and some of that same, uh, same thing. This, the difference I think with COVID is it's still, we're still, it's still hanging on and we're still being affected by it every day. And to some extent, it's still affecting our, our, what we cover in sports. So it's, yeah. it's a longer, more drawn out uh, uh, effect on, on us, I think, in our business. But uh, certainly a lot of parallels, for sure. I'm glad you went there for a second because it's not the first time that we've had sports affected by something in this country. 
And, and I had former Tar Heel Matt Doherty, former coach at, at Florida Atlantic and, and North Carolina and, and Notre Dame. He was on the podcast. And, and, and you remember this well because I remember it. The, the Tar Heels were supposed to play Indiana the night that President Reagan got shot. Mm-hmm. And he talked about trying to play a basketball game and not knowing the uncertainty of, of, of having to play a basketball game, whether or not they were even going to play. And, and Keith, I rem- what I remember about 9-11 was I remember um, you guys did a story. We, we had a guy named Chris Gray who played at WVU. He's a quarterback at WVU. Mm-hmm. He, was, he mm-hmm. was killed in the, in the trade towers because he mm-hmm. worked at Cantor Fitzgerald, but he was a backup quarterback at WVU. And, of course, so there was the local angle there that, that you guys could talk about with, with, with losing him. But, man, I still remember the uncertainty of, how long are we going to wait to play high school football? How long? Mm-hmm. And Major League Baseball was was in the pennant stretch. Mm-hmm. And so how long are we going to wait to play Major League Baseball? How long Marshall was delayed playing starting the, the opening of their season? Uh, a team close to us, the Cincinnati Bengals, the NFL was affected. And so, yeah, I, you know, we've always been touched by sports. But take me through – as as March turned into April, and we have no masters, mm-hmm. and April turns into May, and, and so w- what were you and and Jimmy kind of kind of feeling at that point? Of it was it starting to feel like it, in the in the news business you talk or in radio you talk about filling, just stretch it mm-hmm. out as long yeah. as you can, fill as long as you can, because we got time to fill here. Were you starting to kind of feel that pressure of having to fill that time with something to cover? Yeah, and, and maybe the best way to look at it, Brian, and, and I told Jimmy this too when it first started, I said, look, we really kind of have to take this day by day. And yeah, I'm not being overly dramatic. It was, we can't look ahead at events that aren't going to happen. And I wonder, what, what are we going to do in July? What are we going to do in August, you know? Um, so yeah, you're right. We took it day by day and, and let's come up with an idea. And, and, uh, it does, it did. Yeah. It does wear on you because you're going, man, you first of all, it's your job. It's your livelihood. Yeah. And, and I'm, and we were fortunate that our company was behind us. They never cut sports. They never laid off people. And some people did not, uh, you know, suffered a, a tougher fate than that. So uh, our, our mindset the whole time has been, let's just, let's just fill this block today. Let's fill the block tonight. And then we'll come back tomorrow and do it all over again. And, and really that was the mindset that we took into it because you could get yourself depressed thinking ahead. And I even yeah. told my wife this, I said, I, I don't know what they, they may not just do sports for a month or two, maybe, you know, and, and that never happened, thankfully, but yeah, it really was a day by day scenario where we just said, let's get through this one and then we'll get tomorrow and, and we'll keep going from there. And, uh, I think it's a lesson too for everybody, Brian, and, and every, everybody who's in any walk of life. Yeah. What, I mean, it, it, because it truly affected every single person in, in well, to some extent throughout the world, certainly in our country. Yeah. So we're we're no better or worse off than anybody else. In fact, more fortunate than a lot because a lot of people lost their jobs. So yeah. you have to keep you have to keep that mindset and not feel sorry for yourself because we still get to tell stories, we still get to do sports, but it, those are tough times. But show your show your gratitude by going out every day yeah. and saying let's go tackle this Jimmy and then we'll we'll talk about tomorrow tomorrow what did you learn last question before we step aside and take a quick break what did you learn about your craft that that you either had forgotten that you did well or or that you kind of took advantage of because you you made a great point there Keith is that in the bigger picture you know people were still those working from home like myself we continued to do our jobs. We just did them differently. You, you and Jim did, and Timmy or the, the, the six o'clock guy, everybody did their jobs. Just did them a little differently. You mentioned the shotgun mic and doing interviews and things like you just do mm-hmm. things differently. What was the one thing that you learned about your craft that either maybe you forgot or taken advantage of that really hit, hit home to you is like, man, I can't forget this going forward. I, I just think uh, really it's a, and, and I, I knew this, and I've known it since I've gotten into the business about, you know, because I have a little bit of a news background too, that boy, the news portion of life is so much more serious than the sports person, uh, the sports portion. I, I, I used to tell people, they say, well, you're, you're, when I was doing news stories, they said, well, you're, 
you know, where's your, you're really serious. Where's your personality? I said, well, you can't really smile and joke when you're at a coal mine strike, you know, or, you know, you've got a real serious story that you're, you're dealing with. So uh, what it gave me and what, what life every day, I think gives, should give us is perspective. Understand yeah. what, what we're talking about in, in our little segment of the world against what's really going on. My wife's a school teacher and every day they go in and they've got the shields and they've got the masks and yeah. having to deal with and those poor young kids. And, and we still won't know the effect on kids for some time. You know, the kids yeah. have lost their lives here at high school, uh, the, the elementary kids, the, the junior middle school kids who couldn't play sports. Um, you know, that's going to have a, a deleterious effect. I think over the, you know, we're going to have to look back and study that. But uh, I guess the biggest thing to answer your question, even if I am answering it is, understand what your role is and what you do and always, always have a perspective of what people are going through when you're telling these stories, because thankfully what we do is usually fun and games. Well, this isn't fun and games. This is serious stuff. So take approach every day with that knowledge and don't take yourself too seriously and understand uh, a lot of people have it worse off than you do. And I think that's, the, that's yeah. the motive. That's the motto for life and, and not just what you do for a living. Well, and, and there are times that you have to make sports the news, right? We, we, mm -hmm. just, we just saw mm -hmm. this. Um, for those that don't know, uh, Keith covered a young man named Jaquan Newley who played at Marshall, and he was tragically killed in a car crash. And, and so you have those stories. I remember in college, um, a guy that went to Ironton High School that I knew a little bit, a guy named J.D. Kaufman, who passed away mm -hmm. while he was playing at Marshall. Mm -hmm. uh, had, he, he developed bacterial meningitis and passed away. I knew J.D. a little bit through guys I went to school with and Heath Brownstead and Aaron Brown mm -hmm. that I went to South Point with. So I knew J.D. a little bit. And there are times, Keith, where, where you have those, those life stories that really just smack together with sports. And, and I love what you said there. And I think that's what makes you so good at what you've done for a long time is you've understood when those, when those two worlds collide, how to cover it from that perspective, because it is a news story, mm -hmm. but there is a big time sports angle there. Yeah. You get, you, you make a good point. And, uh, I've, whenever I speak to kids who want to go into the business, I said, um, you know, you, you have to make sure that the real reason you're going into this is because you enjoy telling other people's stories. And when we tell other people's stories, it doesn't matter if it's sports or news, everybody's got a story. So just because there's a ball or bat involved doesn't mean it's any different than the steel worker or, or, the, or the school teacher or the doctor uh, or the company president. So everybody's got a story. And your job is to, to flesh that out. And sometimes those stories are tragic and you have to tell those stories without regard to what, what those youngsters did, but the fact that may, we lost them too soon. Yeah. And that's, you, you have to, when you, when you tell those stories, people feel it. They don't, they don't necessarily just see it on the screen. They feel it. And that's, that's part of what uh, is our job to do when, when we're trusted and people open up their hearts to us and you have to pay that back by telling that story in a respectful way. Yeah. We're going to step aside and take a break. When we come back, Folks, we're going to do this going to do this episode a little bit differently. I want to give Keith the room to tell his story. He's got a powerful story of his life and, and his career. And when we come back, I'm going to give Keith the floor and get out of the way and let him tell his amazing story. Talking to my friend Keith Morehouse, the sports director of News Channel 3, WSAZ in Huntington, West Virginia. Back in just a moment here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers 
after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Keith, I wanted to have you on, man, to tell your your incredible story because a lot of people may not know your background. I mentioned it off the top. You were portrayed in a movie, We Are Marshall, that a lot of people have seen. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Go get the DVD. It's a powerful story. It's close to my heart, but it's even closer to Keith's heart. Keith, I, I want to give you the floor. And, man, just tell your story as far back as you want to go, man, it's incredible. And, and I'd be honored if you tell it here. Okay. I'll do that. Just promise me you'll interject and throw in a few questions. Absolutely. I don't like to talk about myself too long. <laughs> well, but listen, I, man, you, you're I worth talking about. You were, I, I've said I this to people, man, you are, you are one of the kindest people. And, and I I've known you off and on for over 25 years. You're one of the kindest people that I know. Always. Well, thank you. Gracious. Thank you. And always, Every time I see you at a Marshall football game or see you out somewhere, man, you're always so kind and gracious. And, well, and I appreciate that. I know people want to connect with with what your life and your story. Well, thank you. Uh, it's um, you know, it's part. Of, it, it makes up who you are. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned what happened. So it's it, we we I uh, was born in Beckley. My dad was a radio sportscaster wwnr wjls and beckley and, and really well known throughout the state uh, not from here my, my mom was from new york uh, malone new york a little town in the northern part of the state and my dad was from newark new jersey and they met got married and he was in the radio business so they hopscotched all around at different places like keokaka iowa and manchester new hampshire and then in beckley uh they had two different stints in beckley where he worked in radio so but in 1968 um, he got the call from Marshall that they wanted him to be their radio play-by-play -play guy. Uh, and he said, well, I'll do it under a couple of circumstances. He said, we have six kids in our family. And he said, I, I need to do, uh, I need basically to be the sports information director as well. So combine Jason Corrier and Steve Cott. He, he, yeah. did, he would, did both those jobs because he wanted to make enough money to make it worth his while to move from Beckley. My mom and you were how old at this time when you moved to Huntington? When we moved here, I was seven. So, okay. uh, yeah. So we moved up here when I was seven years old and uh, mom was a registered nurse. And so we settled in on the South side. And, uh, at that time for people who don't know, Marshall was a huge basketball school. They had just, uh, you know, Danny D'Antoni and Bob Red and those guys were running wild in the Madison square garden and the NIT and, and, and football was really struggling. They hadn't had a winning season in some years and, and, uh, it looked uh, like it was a basketball school. Uh, and then they started to turn things around in the late 60s. And, uh, you know, Ted Shoebridge was was going to be the hotshot quarterback. And, and and Marshall had a lot of promising players, you know, uh, Joe Hood in the backfield and 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 Artie Harris and and Jack Rapassi as, as a skilled player and a bunch of guys that. Marcelo uh, Latterman, who probably could have kicked, kick, kicked, kicked on Sundays. Yeah, he could have yeah, been he, an he NFL place kicker. Yeah, he would have been an NFL player. And. And Larry Sanders and, and several recruits from Alabama. And, and if you remember back in those days, African-American athletes weren't being given scholarships. So uh, it, it was kind of new territory and, and deservedly so. So they, yeah. they've got six guys from Tuscaloosa, Alabama that uh, Red Dawson recruited uh, who came up here and, and played football. So they were starting to turn it around. And uh, in 1969 and then 1970 and was, was the year of the plane crash. And they were headed to East Carolina uh, to play the Pirates. Um, it was November 13th when they left Friday, the 13th, ironically. And then November 14th was the, after the game, they had come back, uh, on, on the charter play. They didn't do you remember much about that weekend. Do you, do you remember a whole, I mean, you were a little kid, you were what, nine th yeah, at that yeah, eight, nine right. years old. Right. No, you don't remember a lot because, uh, and, and those, I, I think when you look back on the events of your life, you, you remember the big, the big events, the ones that just kind of stick out. So I didn't. I mean, I knew they lost the game, but I didn't, you know, dwell on it. But that next night, uh, yeah, that's still, you know, that's burned into your your soul uh, on nights like that. So, uh, yeah, I just remember they had lost the game and they were coming back. They didn't charter a lot like back then, Brian. They didn't have the money. Marshall didn't have a lot of money. It was a small school. And a lot of teams weren't flying all across the country. But that was their first flight that year, as I remember. Um, and Keith, and let, that, let's give a little bit of perspective, not to, and you know, no, just to interject, but yeah. 
Marshall had had been a Mid American Conference member, and because of what because of getting the athletes that they got, the Mid American Conference basically kicked them out mm -hmm. of the Mid American Conference. There was found to be recruiting violations at that time, serious recruiting violations that that would would surface, and because of that, the Mid American Conference kicked them out, and so correct me if I'm wrong, Marshall played that 70 season basically as an independent, right? That's why East Carolina was on the schedule. Right. right. They weren't in a league. And, and so, you know, Rick Tolley had taken the job a year before. Um, so, yeah, there were very unsteady, uncertain times for that football program. And it was already struggling. So, but but because of those recruiting violations that, uh, you know, they, they were not in a league. So you're right. They were hopscotching around playing whoever they could get. You guys did a, a 50th anniversary special. Was beautifully uh -huh. done. My goodness, Thank man! You. I, I you. sent you a text after I watched mm -hmm. it. So beautifully done. You got to go back and look at film, and I think your dad was a big part of that. Mm -hmm. the, the, that film. Rick Tolley was a hard nosed guy. I mean, mm -hmm. he was the antithesis of Perry Moss. Perry Moss, mm -hmm. when, who would later go on to coach in the World Football League, who who had a very successful coaching career after leaving Marshall, really thought of as an offensive mind, mm -hmm. really an offensive genius, so to speak. So that's why the offensive talent was there, as you mentioned, with Shoebridge and Hood and, mm -hmm. and, and Bob Harris and those guys like that on the offensive side of the ball. But as you look back at that film, what, what kind of was your sense of looking back 50-plus years and seeing – were you able to look at it from a – a sportscaster technical side, like, man, these guys did this really well. Were you able to separate the personal from the, the technical side, being in the business yourself and conducting interviews every day, like you do, how was that watching how that was done 50 years ago? Uh, well, so it was surreal, Brian. And, and to answer your question, no, you can't completely separate it because every play, uh, you know, it was dad's voice calling that game and, and always, always, always in the back of your mind, you're watching these talented young guys and you it just breaks your heart that they never are going to play another football game, never going to see another day. Yeah. And so that's always back there. Uh, but having watched that film, uh, it brought, brought back memories of how good Teddy Shoebridge was and how good I thought he could be. Uh, he, he had an NFL arm. There's no question about it. They had players on that team that had NFL talent. And, and just to, you, to realize they didn't get to see their full potential is, is, is heartbreaking. Uh, but um, I had a guy down at work, Jeff Perry, who's a, a production supervisor down there for us. And he, he painstakingly went through that game film and matched up dad's audio. Um, Steve Chapman, a guy who used to be over at WPBY and has been you know, a fixture uh, around Marshall for a long time. Uh, actually had the the full game on on video on VHS. Wow. And he dubbed it off the DVD for us, brought it down. Jeff Perry synced up. Took it took him a couple of weeks to sync up what you saw in that documentary uh, to match the plays. But yeah, it was surreal. It was uh, you know the stuff that you didn't see was a lot of what we didn't put on. I mean there was a clip um, which to this day you know just just gives you chills and and where Dad's talking about. Um, when they're going to leave, it's starting to get dark. Uh, the weather's starting to get bad. We should be home by seven thirty, and it's just like your heart just sinks. And yeah, yeah. just little clips like that that aren't aren't in the uh, in the documentary. But yeah, you, you, I do go back and realize how good they could have been, and how that football team was getting better. It was a nip and tuck game, um, and to me, the best part of that, Brian, was able to being able to put faces and names together. People see names on monuments, but when you when you listen to that game call, and you see you see these guys going through their motions, and you're going, "Oh, that's that's Larry Sanders," and yeah, you know, that, that, that's that's a that's Nash, and that's uh you know all the all the different players that you've always read about so long on some some of them on the monuments. Yeah. Up in Spring Hill, where they never were able to identify their bodies, and so to see them play and to watch them uh, in action was was a, a blessing, really, um, but sad at the same time. You know what surprised me, Keith, was was the and, and you you pointed it out in the documentary so beautifully. the The traveling party that they took to ECU, okay, there were what thirty seven guys that dressed for that game. So offense, you need 11 on, 11 on offense, 11 on defense. 
So that's 22. And then you've got 15 reserves. And, and what people, if you, if you can find Keith's documentary, which we'll, we'll tell you how to find it, Bob Harris started that game at quarterback and in the second half switched to wide receiver, what they call flanker at that time. Mm -hmm. your, your dad's calls of, you know, Bob Harris lining up in the slot. And, mm -hmm. and there's a couple of plays that I can see right now where Shoebridge hits him over the middle with some mm -hmm. bullets. And, mm -hmm. and the dude is a starting quarterback. You would not see that today in, in, in today's game. But back then, Marshall only traveled with 37 guys. Harris had to play quarterback and play wide receiver. Right. And then I went back and looked at it. and Because uh, I remember on one of Dad's clips, he says, Ted Shoebridge on to start the second half. And, I'm, you know, we all knew what Shoebridge was the guy. And I'm thinking, well, why didn't he start? And then I went back and looked closely uh, into it. And he he had a banged up shoulder. And that's why he didn't start that first half at quarterback. So, you know, he had been their guy all year long. But Harris was talented and could do both. Just wasn't the thrower that, that Shoebridge was. So you could tell the game in the second half changed when Shoebridge came in because he's able to just dice it across the field. You know, you know, Joe Hood out of the backfield was like a wide receiver anyway. Yeah. And so, and and Harris was talented enough that he could go play another position. So yeah, that was I, I was always in my mind saying, well, why is he saying oh, I'm the quarterback here in the second half? That meant he didn't play in the first because you, at that time I hadn't seen the whole clip of the first half. So th that was interesting to see. And um, yeah, it does. Again, just to see those guys and, and, and able to show you their talents and, and also finally get that name put together with the jersey number and a face, that was important. What was it like when you went to, to Greenville? Because I'd, I'd been to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. We were down there two or three years ago, and I have a friend of mine from Huntington who graduated from Marshall that teaches at ECU, made sure to take me by Dowdy Ficklin. There's mm -hmm. a beautiful memorial there, Dowdy Ficklin yep. in Greenville. Yep. Honoring the night, honoring the Marshall football team, but you got to talk to guys that were on the field that day playing for East Carolina. What was that like for you to do those interviews with those guys, and what kind of emotion did you see out of them fifty years later when they talked about that game? Well, you'd be surprised, Brian, and you saw some of it there in the documentary. But uh, they were they were really um, forthcoming with their stories. They were very emotional about it all these years later. And, and one of the things that a lot of people told me about that, they said, I never thought of that angle. And I thought, well, you know, now these guys are probably 70, 72 years old, and we're not going to be able to hear their stories uh, too much longer. But I wanted to know what they thought when they walked across the field and they shook hands and that, you know, you battle with guys and footballs and, uh, you know, unlike just about any other sport in that regard, where you're going toe to toe, hand to hand, you know, banging on each other for 60 minutes in a really close game. And then afterwards, you're always able to, you see them, it's still today in games, NFL, college, high school, you know, kids go shake each other's hands, they're smiling and everybody's having a good time and, you know, congratulating each other on, you know, battling. But then after that, you know, five hours later, they're called back to school uh, to have this meeting where the coach tells them that the Marshall plane had crashed and there are no survivors. I mean, can you imagine the weight of that when you're 22 years old, the guys you just banged up against? And so to go down there and to have them, and it's that very same field, by the way, they've done tremendous renovations. They've got yeah. beautiful facilities there, but that's the same surface. That's the same footprint of Dowdy Ficklin from 1970 to 2020, 2021. So it's, it's a, just in that regard, it's um, surreal to be there. It's a little eerie, to be honest. Um, the, you know, the facilities building, the press box is different, but I just think, you know, dad being up there calling that game and all this, you know, the Marshall fans who made the travel party, you could see, I even have a still picture. There's, there's a shot of the Marshall fan base down there and you can pick out doctors and people. My wife's parents were both on the crash. You can see, uh, her father in one of the shots. Um, so to see, to be able to go back down there and talk to those players and have them recount that game. And how it stuck with them for 50 years and for them to get emotional about it, um, it really hits. And I thought that was a really important part to get out there. And I'm so those guys were so gracious, you know, uh, to be able to, to be able to sit down and talk about it and uh, share their stories with us 50 years later. Because that for them, that wasn't easy either. And, and a lot of all three of them came from one of them lives in Greenville, Jim Creech. But uh, the other two, Rusty Scales, came from I think he's now in Myrtle Beach and, and uh uh, Richard Peeler came from somewhere in North Carolina, but they, they took some time to come together and to help me with that story. And, and for that, I'm forever grateful to them.
Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper, and more powerful connector, you've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People Buy From People. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Who was it? I was surprised to, to learn this. Who was that? Wasn't Dan Devine the coach of that team, the guy that ended up going to the Packers? Am I missing that? But there was somebody that coached East Carolina that went on to, to be a successful head coach somewhere else. He might have been an assistant. He may have been an assistant because the head coach, um, uh, uh, now I'm blocking on his name, but I'll think of it here uh, in, a, in a second. Yeah, it's we'll hard to Wikipedia of, while you're doing a podcast, yeah, yeah, you know. Right, yeah. right. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, it wasn't it wasn't divine. But they had their coaching staff was yeah, well. Uh, and here's another bizarre angle that people some people don't know. I knew because I worked with him. But Sonny Randall, of course, was on the East Carolina staff. Yeah, and 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 Sonny, you can see Sonny coming off the field at the end of the game. I could tell by his gait, his walk, that that's him. And, and Sonny was really guarded about his thoughts of that even many, many years later. We talked about it on occasion, but it wasn't something that he would just be forthcoming about because it bothered him so much. And and I, I would guess, you know, that's, you know, that was in the back of his mind when he took that Marshall job yep. and coach, coached here in the mid-80s or 79 to 83. And then one of the things he always told me was he said, I, you know, I didn't want to burn any bridges on the way out because – I just don't do that. And and because of that, you know, several years later, we're in the broadcast booth together. They hired him to be the TV analyst. And we all know about the Sonny-isms and, and how much fun he oh, was he was. broadcasts. You guys were so. magic together. You guys were really good to get because you were the ultimate straight man. Let Sonny just go off. And and I, I have some great memories around my time at the Herald Dispatch and watching you guys. And, and oh, it was great. Sonny. Yeah. It was great. It was well, great. I, I got to ask you real quick. You, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that some of the details of that weekend of the crash were, were kind of blurry for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you remember most about that weekend? I mean, you're eight, nine years old. Mm -hmm. There is, and, and folks, I, I was born in 72, but my dad told me stories and watching things and, and documentaries over the years. It was sheer chaos in Huntington. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that's the best word to describe it. It was extremely chaotic because you had um, guys that I worked with at the, at the Herald Dispatch. There was a veteran sports writer named Lowell Cade who covered mm -hmm. the team and, and Jack Harden, who I knew a little yeah. bit that covered uh, from, from the Huntington advertiser. There was just, there were just so much information that was coming that was bits and pieces um, and, and again, I would encourage you to go back and, and watch. There's a lot of things on YouTube about that. But Keith, you had an eyewitness personal. You mentioned your wife's parents were both tragically killed in that crash. What do you remember about that weekend that sticks out to you? I, I really, Brian, just remember that the, the, the immediate parts of that night. I remember my sister, I have a twin sister. We were watching the Newlywed game with my mom. And that's when the little crawl came across the bottom of the screen. They did a plane crash at Tri-State Airport. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm, what, not nine years old. We're nine years old. We don't realize the impact of everything. But you always play off what, you know, you see your mom and your dad and your how everybody else yeah. reacts at that age, right? So she goes to the phones and, uh, she, you know, she kind of shrieked and then uh, starts just the phone just starts ringing off the hook. And we know something's wrong. We don't know what. 
but we know something's wrong. And so that night, I just, I, I only see it through my own little prism about how that happened and how that affected her. And I remember people coming over, <coughs> pardon me, people coming over to our house. And uh, I remember, you know, mom and her kind of standing in a room and just people were up and <coughs> in and out of, of her room. And we uh, actually went next door and stayed with our neighbors because it was so chaotic in our house. And so then the next day, I don't remember much, but at that point it starts to sink in what had happened. And, you know, mom starts to tell us all what, what had gone on. My, my older, one of my older brothers was at a football game in Tennessee. So he's got to ride the bus back and not really know what's going on. Another older brother was at school at Virginia tech. So a friend down the street, uh, Bill Frampton, who was a, a well-known architect takes my other brother down to Blacksburg to pick him up. And my oldest sister was in the fine new fraternity at the time and she was on campus. So those are all the little different ways that we had kind of found out about it. And then as the days go on, you realize that your father's not coming home. And we also lost 74 other souls that um, you just can't replace. So that's, that's how I think about those days. Well, and, and Red Dawson, who is an integral <clears throat> part of that, of the movie, uh, my son and I had an interaction with Red mm -hmm. five or six years ago. We we saw him up in the skybox, and and my son loves that movie. And of course, now as a student at Marshall, and he he told Red, he said, "I you know I watched We Are Marshall," and Red looked at him so kindly, but he said, "I've only seen the movie once. I can't watch it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't I can't watch it because it's so personal to Red." Red Dawson was an assistant coach. For those that don't know, he was an assistant coach. He gave up his seat on the plane to Deke Brackett, who was an older assistant coach who needed to get home for a granddaughter's piano recital. And Red drove the university car on to a recruiting trip and then would come in. And, and Keith, it's ironic as we record this, the impact of Bobby Bowden. Mm -hmm. on on mm -hmm. that story of course as we record this bobby bowden passed away yesterday at age 91 the legendary florida state football coach who was at west virginia at the time and 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 that's near and dear to bobby bowden's heart bobby bowden actually went a lot of people don't know this he went to the ncaa to petition them to get to play in mm -hmm. marshall stead for west virginia university to play in marshall stead when you think about the events after that, does it are, are you in awe of of how people came together and 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 kind of looking back at it as you were telling the story in the documentary? Was there something that jumped out to you all these years later uh, of the spirit of Huntington in that weekend? Oh, I think Brian, that's that's something that uh, it's probably while I'm still here. Not that I was I was looking to go anywhere else. But, you know, you have opportunities in this business. But uh, I tell you what, growing up um, after that crash and just the, the the outpouring of support that still happens to this day, these, everybody kind of just took you in as, as kids who lost parents on that plane. Uh, everybody sort of was your older brother, or your uncle or your your quasi parents. Or, and, and everybody seemed to, you know, they didn't say it out loud, but, you know, when they heard your name or they saw someone that had lost somebody, they said, Oh, that's so-and-so. And, uh, and, and they just kind of wrapped this whole city wrapped its arms around all of us, I think. And yeah. uh, you know, that's something that I'll take with me forever. And I think that's an important part of what Huntington is. And you, and you mentioned those connections and, you know, Bobby Bowden and Red Dawson, of course, you know, Red Dawson played down at Florida state and, and then Bobby Bowden goes on to, to coach there. And then, it, 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 when Marshall played in Mobile, Alabama, in the, in the famous Byron Leftwich Bowl game, which they won 64-61 and you know two overtimes, uh, Bobby Bowden spoke to the team, and so I interviewed him after he spoke, and we talked, and he was such a uh, an interesting guy and with a yeah. kind heart and a soul. And I asked him about you know the Marshall job and what he did at West Virginia, and he goes, "Well, a lot of people don't know this, but Eddie Barrett, the athletic director at Marshall in the late '60s, who hired my dad." Uh, also called Bobby Bowden to ask him if he wanted the job that Rick Tolley eventually would get. Wow. Yeah. That was, yeah. And Bobby and coach Bowden says, I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't take the job. He said, Marshall at that time wasn't, you know, obviously doing very well. And he said, uh, but he goes, if I had taken that job, I might've been on that plane. 
Yeah. And he said, but to see what they did after that. And he was so complimentary of the, the heights that Marshall had climbed. But that's just an interesting story that Bobby Bowden was offered the coaching job at the, the, the Marshall didn't take it. But the other connections, like you said, the WU yeah. situation that's portrayed in the movie. Uh, it's, it's all, it's all, uh, really neat how everybody's so kind of interconnected to that. I gotta ask you one more question real quick about that. You ever think how Keith Morehouse today would have covered that story in 1970, mm -hmm. how you and G how you and Jim Tracy would have covered that because back then there was not, I think you maybe had one or two TV stations in town. I, I I'm, I, I'm not sure, but, but, but at that time we had an afternoon paper. We had a morning paper, the Advertiser mm -hmm. and the Herald Dispatch. Now everybody <clears throat> seemingly is a journalist. I mean, if you've got a cell phone and and Twitter, you can you can do that. Have you ever thought about how you would have covered that story now had you been a journalist back then and and knowing what you know about the business? You mentioned the news side of things a, a little bit ago when we were talking. How would Keith Morehouse have covered that story then? It, even if that wasn't your your father or something like that. But but covering Marshall as you do now, well, that, when I you know when they run, um, Doc Holliday started that uh, tradition where they run up to the cemetery every year, and Coach Huff's going to keep it going. Yep. And they asked they asked me to say a few words, and I always do appreciably uh, because I think that's really neat what they do. Um, but I always I always think of myself, what what yeah, what if if today that happens, and you know all of a sudden you know Grant Wells is Teddy Shoebridge, and uh, you know. Um, you you just can go down the line, you know. You go down the watch. Talik Keaton is 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 Joe Hood. You could just and you compare. That's what these kids were at their stage in their lives, and the enormity of that crash. I have no idea. Bob Smith, who I, who was in the documentary, was a newsman. And of all the things that went on from in his tenure, you know, you're talking about the Silver Bridge collapse. You're talking yeah. about uh, Buffalo Creek tragedy. All these things that happened that were so big, and he gets nothing ever approached the Marshall crash. And he said, um, and hopefully never will. Uh, yeah. So to, to answer your question, it would be a story of incredible impact today, just as it was then. Um, you know, the lives that you have to tell you that you have to tell the stories of that are no longer here. I, it would, it would be um, incredible. It'd just be daunting to have to, to, to cover something like that. And we hope to God it never happens in any other college Absolutely. community anywhere. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine what they went through then, and I couldn't imagine if it happened today. Your career came full circle when you got the opportunity to call Marshall football games on television. What was that opportunity like for you when it came to you, Keith? And, and now you're getting to, in, in some ways, sit in the chair your dad sat in and, and cover games and call games. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and by the way, I, I, I think it, I think the TV coverage misses you. I'm I'm personally biased, but man, you, you did a phenomenal job. You and Sonny Randall, who who unfortunately uh, passed away several years ago, but Keith and Sonny did a marvelous job. What was that like for you when that call came, saying, "Hey, we want you to to be the TV play-by-play -play voice of the Thundering Herd." Well, I, I still miss it too, Brian. To, just to let you know, um, it was it was phenomenal. Um, it was 1996. Um, Dan Shoemaker, who uh, a lot of people obviously know Dan's impact on television, on Marshall, uh, at ESPN. Uh, Dan was was a TV guy uh, who was a vanguard in the business. He he did things that nobody was doing. He started Marshall's television package, and schools Marshall size didn't have television packages. And then in the summer of 1996, I remember vividly, we were on the vacation in the Outer Banks, and Dan calls me and says, hey, how would you like to be the TV voice of the herd? I said, are you kidding me? Uh, come on, you're joking. And he said, no, I'm not. And uh, so we started getting things together and, and working it out. And um, that coincided with the year Bob Pruitt got here. And to, you talk about interconnected things. My dad did Bob Pruitt's games when Coach Pruitt was at Beckley. Um, so yeah. that's that's how everything kind of uh, just falls together. And so, a magical yeah. season to, to boot. Marshall went fifteen and zero. <laughs> yeah, won yeah. the one that's double. They got a guy yeah. named uh, Randy Moss. You might remember. Yeah, we saw a guy <laughs> named Randy Moss play at Marshall. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and there and and a young man that transferred up here. Marshall had a, a young man who had led them to the one double A championship the year before. A young man named Chad Pennington as a true freshman who was the mm -hmm. third quarterback. Two quarterbacks ahead of him get hurt. Pennington comes in. But that year, they wanted to redshirt him because they had a kid named Eric Kresser who had followed Coach Pruitt from Florida. 
and Coach Pruitt was the defensive coordinator at Florida. And so Eric Cresser came up here, and 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 yeah, you you and I and Keith, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you guys break the story that Randy Moss was mm-hmm. coming to Marshall? I remember watching. Yes, yeah, I remember watching the news and 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 you break the story that you know he had he had been dismissed from his scholarship at Notre Dame, was at Florida. Talk about another Bobby Bowden connection. Randy mm-hmm. Moss was at at Florida State. And gets in a little bit of trouble there, and he he has to come back home. And you guys break the story that Randy Moss is coming to Marshall, and that boy, that was a huge thing too. Well, what a talent, obviously. But Bob Pruitt had told me at a golf outing, and uh, he said you can't can't go with it yet. But uh, call me in a couple of days, and I can't remember the exact details of what day it was. But yeah, for a talent like Randy to to come here um, to be able to play right away, that was. Uh, all these little things just fit in kind of perfectly. Bob Pruitt being there, uh, you know, and and then Bobby Bowden's relationship, and 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 Randy had needed a place to go, and and he could come to Marshall and play right away. And the next year they were going to go Division uh, One, uh, what is now Football Bowl subdivision FBS. And so you know you kind of, you kind of knew well, he'll probably you're probably going to get two years out of this guy, and then and he's going to be going to the NFL, and that's exactly what happened. But the you know the te- the, the notoriety he brought. The season they had, that was the first year Sonny and I did the games. I, I, you know, I look back on that. And, I mean, we were so fortunate to hit that at that particular time. And it just, just didn't stop when, when Moss left. I mean, you know, he goes, I, I'm at the Heisman Trophy ceremony with Randy Moss in, in 1997. Two years later, I'm there with Chad Pennington and would have been there three years later with Byron Leftwich if he hadn't broken his leg. Yeah. So uh, this is the stuff that I'm, I'm that, that I think about Brian when we were so fortunate to have had the opportunity, Sonny and I, to call those games in that time. Uh, you know, with 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 Coach Pruitt. I mean, I, I think we I figured up our TV uh, record while we were calling the games, not every game because we didn't do every game, obviously. But the, uh, we were, I think, Sonny and I were fifty and four. Like Marshall was fifty and four when 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 we were in the booth, not because of Sonny and I. We were just lucky enough to be along. For the ride and, and well Sonny could have been calling plays he could have been sending plays down to, to coach Pruitt while you were describing the action well he would he would probably <laughs> tell coach Pruitt went to run and coach Pruitt would say go back in the booth you yeah that you'd still be out here coaching right but, yeah I gotta um, I gotta ask you real quick top yeah. three athletes that you covered at Marshall off the top of your head obviously Randy Moss would <laughs> would would have to be in that con- and I don't want to speak for you but top three athletes top three athletes you've ever covered at Marshall uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, R- Randy Moss athletically second to not no, nobody, nobody else even close. Uh, he was, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, the, in, the, the nickname at first, he was the freak, right? He was Keith, to I've told things. people that asked me about watching Randy Moss. I've told them it was a man among toddlers. Yeah. I mean, I just, he just, I, I remember guys calling and, and they'd say, what about this Moss kid? Is it just because he's playing football in West Virginia, high school football there? It's not very good. Brian, we, we had a, a photographer go to one of their games and we were just joking, not even joking. I said, just ISO. You only have one camera. One of our, our, our cameras is at a football yeah. game. Just ISO on Moss because he's every time he gets it, something's going to happen. So, we, you know, we got five or six plays and four of them, Moss is going for touchdowns. It's not even it, – it is a man among boys. But I kept telling people it wasn't just because he played high school in West Virginia. And then it was, oh, he played in the MAC at Marshall, and they don't have – you know, they don't see that kind of competition. He did it against them. And then, you know, they go play Ole Miss in the bowl game, the SEC, right? And he blows past that DB 20 yards past him, first yeah. play of the game. It's like he could do this anywhere, and obviously he did it everywhere. So Thanksgiving Day against the Cowboys, yeah, his rookie his year, coming out party, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he just did that. You know, there's a there's a, a video of him on around Twitter of his forty plus yard touchdown catches. It's like it runs like twenty minutes long. It's, it's well, you. Phenomenal. I don't mean to interrupt you, but you you and Sonny called the game at Army. Yes, that yes. Chad Pennington threw the slant pass to Moss. Yeah, and and he hurdles the defensive back. Yeah, I mean, it was like, and I looked at Sonny, and he looked at me after that play, and I thought, I can't wait to see the replay because I don't even know if I saw what if I thought, if I knew what I just saw. I mean, he he did that once, and then he later in the game, he he goes between two defenders, picks it away, and goes seventy. And Chad's reaction, and and to hear Chad tell it, it's 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 even better. <laughs> I mean, that's. But I, I didn't mean to jump in there. So no, no, no. He just threw it in up. That conversation. Randy yeah. Moss is in that conversation. Who who else 
immediately comes to mind. Well, I mean, Chad, obviously Chad, just because of, of what he did and worked himself into an 11 year NFL career was an all world kid at Marshall. Uh, we still, you know, we still talk a lot. Um, and he, he, you know, you, in this business, you know, since I'm not covering him, so to speak anymore, I mean, now we're, we're, we're good friends and, and, uh, um, that part of it is what's make what makes it worthwhile because he's such a quality person. And now he's coming back trying to help his alma mater and his athletic career was off the charts. Uh, you know, the things that Marshall did in football, uh, you know, that just, it might be lightning in the bottle. Why hasn't he done more TV though, Keith? I didn't mean to interrupt, but what, why hasn't Chad, because every time I see Chad doing something television wise, and he's done pregame for the jets for a number of years, Mm-hmm. He to me would be a tremendous game analyst. What is it? Is it the family commitment? Is it the time commitment that keeps him mm-hmm. from doing television full time? Well, that's that's what makes Chad Chad. He he has three young boys, not young so much. I mean, you know, Cole's obviously been offered a scholarship at at Marshall and accepted. Uh, we covered him this past year when they were close by over at Kentucky Christian playing high school game. So, but Cole's the oldest. He's got two younger boys. And, and Chad's the kind of guy that he, you know, TV's fun and you know it. Um, but if you're going to do TV and if, especially if you're doing it for the NFL, you're going to a different NFL city every weekend. And he's, he cares too much about, you know, being at home and being with those guys and his wife, Robin. And he basically has said that that's why he's a head football coach in high school. You know, people mentioned his name about the Marshall job and I even asked him off the record about it. Yeah. And we talked, he said, look, I, I've got other things I'm, I'm into right now. And, uh, it's immensely flattering, but he said, I've got some other stuff I've got to take care of. And that's, he was the popular choice is. for that job. He was, he was the, he was the runaway favorite for a lot of folks, myself included for that job that, I mean, well, but one thing yeah. about it, even though he didn't want to be considered for it, you know, he was intensely interested in yeah. how it played out. And, yeah. and honestly, he was, you know, he was right in the middle of it, and he will be with the Board of Governors position that he's accepted. He cares so much about that university, and he says, you know, Marshall changed his life. And he's just a quality guy, and uh, I wouldn't rule anything out down the line. I mean, Chad can do whatever yeah. he wants, whatever he puts his mind to. So, well, so is Byron Leftwich. Yeah, Byron Leftwich, who just won a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the offensive coordinator. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if in the 2022 season, we didn't see Byron Leftwich as a head coach somewhere. And, and you covered all four years. Well, actually, Byron was here five because he, mm-hmm. he, he backed up Chad as a freshman, redshirted Chad's senior year, and then played three years after that. We, I, I, last question from me, Keith. You've been so gracious with your time. What is it about covering Marshall that really – keeps you excited and keeps you going obviously it's it's where you went to school it's where i went to school mm-hmm. you had those personal connections but man what keeps you juiced up about covering the thundering herd as you've done so well for so many years well brian it's it's a special place uh, uh, for so many reasons a lot of which we've talked about um the opportunity that i had uh, uh, to do those games uh I always felt like dad never got to finish the job. I mean, Marshall, it, it, he had to do 18 games on the radio before Marshall won a football game. That's how, that's how bad they were when he got here. Uh, and I uh, was lucky enough to, you know, the first season we called the games, Marshall was 15 and 0. Um, to see that, to, it's, but to answer your question as well as I can, it's about the experience of, of being here in the worst of times, uh, coming through to take on my career and being able to be here during the best of times and watching the university grow, watching these kids come through and you end up being friends with uh, Brian, Byron Leftwich and I talked before the Super Bowl. He, let, I, I let, he left me a voicemail and I thought he's too busy all week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text him one thing. If he can call me, call me. And he, he, he takes the time to leave me a voicemail and, and we end up doing a phone interview uh, after he won this, his Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. But those are the relationships that you make in life and in your job that have been so special. And, and those are the things that you can't put into words. It doesn't, there are bigger places to work. You can make more money, but the, the opportunities to cover that school, uh, the fact those kids still run up to that cemetery and, and, and pay homage to all those people, those wonderful people that we lost. Uh, you can't put that into words and you, and no, but no other school can. And I'm glad no other school has to, it, yeah. it's, it's a heavy burden for these kids to every November to have to play that game with those helmets, but man, they, they strap those things up and something happens and they, they win that game every year. And I, I think 
we ask so much of them to have not been here, to have not known anyone, to not have been alive, to have yes. to, you know, basically carry on this tradition, but they do it and they do it with seriousness and respect. And then to have, you know, people that think so much of this story to come in and do a movie about, you know, Marshall, um, it, it's a, it's an incredibly special place, always has been. And uh, for all those reasons that we've talked about for the past 45 minutes or so. Man, Keith, it's, it's an honor to call you a friend. You have yeah. been so gracious with your time. I'll see you in about three weeks at, at mm -hmm. the Marshall game. You and Jim mm -hmm. will be on the sidelines catching <laughs> film and things like yeah. that. And uh, it, it, I'm, I'm just glad we're going to play football and start the season normally as we always do. It's going to be fun to see Joan C. Edwards Stadium filled to capacity the first game, and you'll be right there covering it. Follow him on Twitter at Keith Morehouse, M-O-R-E-H-O-U-S-E. If I could spell, we'd be all right. But Keith, man, you got it. it's been a blast having you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Brian, I appreciate the time and all the uh, interesting questions and, and your friendship. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.